Welcome to Night and Tales. This podcast was created during the International Year of the Nurse and Nurse Midwife. And what a year that was. This podcast is dedicated to telling stories of nurses from across our profession. Our goal is to introduce you to the seemingly infinite possibilities in nursing and encourage you to find your true passion within this work. I'm your host, Jessica Spruitt, and I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Night and Tales. I'm glad you guys are here today, and I'm also really excited about our special guest who's here today. And so we have Dr. Yumika Stevens joining us, and Dr. Stevens is a psychiatric nurse practitioner. She currently coordinates the Psychiatric Nurse Practitioner Program at Wayne State University and also practices. So Dr. Stevens, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you and to hear a little bit more about um, what it means to be a psychiatric nurse practitioner and all of the opportunities that exist. I think we know that um, we have a really vulnerable population of patients who need this kind of specialized care that you offer. Um, And so I'm really excited for you to tell us more about it. Um, I wanted to just start by reminding our listeners about um, the APRN consensus model. So remember that we've got um, the clinical nurse specialists Uh, certified um, nurse midwives. We have our CRNAs, the nurse anesthetist colleagues, and then we also have nurse practitioners. And so then when we talk about nurse practitioners, um, one of the population foci is um, for psychiatric and mental health nurse practitioners. And so that's what Dr. Stevens is um, here to represent today. So Dr. Stevens, if you don't mind, just tell me a little bit about what it means to be a psychiatric nurse practitioner and maybe a couple of um, opportunities that students might have if this was something of interest to them. So um, working as a psychiatric nurse practitioner, it is really what we call like a broad spectrum role. So as a psych MP, you're able to prescribe medications, you diagnose patients with different um, psychiatric disorders, but then you're also available to be able to to counsel and provide psychotherapy for individuals, groups, and families. Um, And so currently the certification is across the lifespan. So you see children Um, You can actually do a subspecialty in infant mental health that you would add, um, but you can see children as, I mean, I see children as young as two years old and uh, older adults as old as they get, so (laughs) whichever way that goes. Um, But typically you have subspecialties that, you know, you focus on. So for myself, my focus is women's health. So I'll see um, postpartum, women with postpartum depression, um, as well as I specialize in chronic disease management. So patients who are living with um, diabetes or other chronic diseases that also we're known to have mental health uh, impacts. So it's probably, I would say, a job now that is what we consider like the up and coming kind of job for some reason for MPs. Um, We are, when you look at um, kind of what uh, Dr. Smoot was talking about in terms of the spectrum, um, we're the youngest group of MPs. So um, we were actually the last group to go to nurse practitioner, <laughs> unfortunately. But um, but as a, as a specialty for um, master's level or graduate level studies, we're actually one of the first programs. So it's kind of weird. We, have, we actually started off as psych CNSs, so you still may see those out in practice. Um, but majority of people you see now are psychiatric nurse practitioners. And you can practice just about anywhere. I mean, I've worked in a hospital-based system. I've worked for community mental health. Um, in the hospital-based system, I worked in outpatient, but I also worked for the CO service where I went around to see patients for psychiatric consults. So a patient comes in for a medical condition, but they also have a psychiatric issue. Uh, my service was a service to come see them. So it is, I think, a job that's only limited by your imagination. 
um, because the opportunities continue to change, especially because you're seeing um, less people going into psychiatry. And so, you know, the role of the psych MP really, really has expanded. It's probably, like I said, one of the things that I think draws a lot of people to consider coming into the program. Sure. Oh, it sounds like there are so many diverse opportunities. Yes. And like I said, there's such critical need, um, you know, as we know. And so you described to me, Dr. Stevens, that um, the psychiatric nurse practitioner is kind of a counselor plus a psychiatrist, but all with the perspective of a nurse and is a yes. nurse practitioner. So if you don't mind, can you tell me a little bit about what that means and um, kind of what the psych NP brings to the patients and families that you're caring for? I will definitely say that it is something where um, just when you when patients come to see you as a as a as a nurse practitioner just in general um we tend to make sure that we're looking at kind of the whole entire spectrum so if somebody comes in and you're like okay can you afford to get this medication what other factors are i, I will really say that i look a lot at you know um applying their psychosocial needs as well so it's not just for me about making sure that person has this medication can they afford it is their lifestyle you know um consistent are they getting their physical health care done? So while I'm there and I'm, I may just be, you know, my primary role is to deal with their mental health, you know, from a nurse practitioner perspective, we really are very holistic and we tend to make sure that we incorporate a lot of care for psychosocial needs as well as, as, well as physical health needs. Sure. Sure. Yeah, we're, I think we are all learning um, how much of an influence that can have when there isn't adequate coverage or there yeah. isn't buy-in from families, you know. Yes. Um, and I think that the nurse is perfectly positioned to have that really holistic perspective. Um, if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about your practice. You described, you know, um, specializing in um, chronic uh, diseases and also women's health. What, what does your day-to-day -day practice look like? And I know there is no standard day. That's yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it, it, it you know, my day now looks different with COVID than it did before, but <laughs> in general, um, my, my, Patient day is my schedule tends to be. I usually work about uh, eight hours when I see patients, um, and so my schedule can be mixed. But typically, I'll have days where these are all. I may have an all new patient day, um, and so these are all new evals. New evals take a little bit longer. You know, you have to get to know the patient a little bit more background. Um, but typically, um, for a new eval, I'll see the patient for about an hour. We sit and talk. I mean, literally, I get the hour to sit and talk with my patient. It's not 15 minutes. Um, and then my follow-ups are uh, typically 30 minutes because we do some counseling as well as medication management. So, you know, I typically see in a day maybe 10 to 15 patients, depending on if I have what the, what the mix looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and it's usually a mix of medication management and, and some therapy. So we're looking at, you know, what are the issues that brought the patient to me? How are they managing, how are they managing their kind of life overall? How is their life impacted by their mental health condition? And is it getting better? One of the things I really tend to focus on is really kind of understanding how is this getting better? Because you can, you know, people can be in therapy for many years and nothing ever gets better. <laughs> so um, it's really kind of incorporated for them. How does the medication help them? And then how are these other tools that we are working with them to get them to a steady state uh, being utilized in their life? Sure. So for those of you listening who can't appreciate um, how long one hour sounds <laughs> to many nurse practitioners, it's unusual to be afforded that kind of time. But I can yes. that. Um, especially with some really sensitive and difficult topics, it takes that long to really establish your first appointment with the patient and start to build that relationship. 
Well, it's, and then you have to get, a, it's a lot of information. So, um, you know, really trying to come up with a timeline for how the disease kind of manifested in their life, what kind of symptoms are you seeing, whether the, what's the overall impact, and then you, you know, look at, you know, genetics, so you have to make sure you're getting a really good family history. Um, so it, because mental health really kind of bleeds into every part of our life, it, it, you have to get a really detailed history to kind of figure out what's what. Um, and so it's very different than when you're working with, say, physical health. Like, I don't have a, I can't check your sugar. You know, it's not like, you know, if you have diabetes, I can draw A1C. You have hypertension, I can check your blood pressure. In order for me to know what kind of diseases are manifested, I have to talk to you. So my biggest skill I have is my ability to interview. So I have to be able to make people feel comfortable um, and really feel like they're able to tell me what it is they need to tell me. Um, and, and you're right, like sometimes very sensitive things to a stranger. Um, so it's, it's a lot of rapport building. Um, you have to be very much a people person. Um, but then also, you know, sometimes you have people who are unable to, you know, tell you those things. So if you have somebody who's coming in who is acutely psychotic and they're hearing voices and they're seeing things, like you have to be able to kind of keep them calm and filter out kind of what's going on. So it takes a lot of, um, it's not as, as much, like I said, the physical aspects of nursing. It is that ability to interview and kind of be present with your patient that really is the majority of what you do in psychiatric nursing um, as, as a psych MP. Um, cause otherwise you won't find out any information. They won't tell you anything and then they just sit there and stare at you. So that doesn't make for it. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I think that when you describe all of the things that you need to consider, you know, the neurobiology, the genetics, the background, yeah. um, all of the things that are influencing the manifestation of disease in these patients, that is really complex. And as you said, without the benefit of diagnostic imaging like x-rays or CAT scans, yeah. Um, and labs like a hemoglobin A1C or a blood pressure, that makes a lot of sense to me what you're describing. Um, and it sounds like a lot. What's, um, when you think of your practice, what's your favorite part about practicing as a psychiatric nurse practitioner? I would say seeing my patients re like kind of relax, like, cause people come in and, and you can feel like if you've been around anybody who's been depressed or anxious um, to feel them relax just by talking to you, like to really see them change or even to see somebody who has been chronically depressed, be able to identify some of the good things in their life. Like those are the things that really impact you because you know that what you did worked right you you help them get like you are you going to cure people no i don't have any fallacies that i cure people but can i help them even in that 30 minutes have some relief from what's going on um and sometimes the relief is just being able to get it out of your own mind and tell it to somebody else and not be judged because you know that's the other thing is that there's so much stigma that goes with with living with a mental health disorder um and a lot of times patients become very wary to say a lot of times what's really going on in their mind because they're fearful of how 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 i mean I, i'm in a seat of power right that as nurses we're we very much sit in a seat of power mm -hmm. and so if they tell me something that you know they feel like could get them hospitalized or you know could you know lead to something so that's a lot of vulnerability um, to present to somebody else. And so when you have people who are willing to talk to you, like that's the part of my day that's good. Like when somebody who, like I can, I can pretty much get anybody to talk to me. And it's absolutely hilarious now. Like when I first started, I was like, how am I going to get these people to talk? And now I'm like, I have worked in places where people would come in and literally say, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm like, okay. And 
so you are you staying like so if you stay we're going to talk we're going to talk about something and eventually you're going to start talking to me um and so i think that's the thing like when you see people kind of who are apprehensive and fearful um because they don't know what you know they always think you're going to do like you have some magic and i said no i don't have any magic other than our conversation <laughs> but to see them feel better and to see them kind of relax and kind of calm or see that depression get a little bit better um you know that you're in the right position that's the I think that would be so rewarding to see, yeah. as you described, in patients who are so desperate for relief. Yeah. Um, and I love the way that you are offering such persistence in your perspective of, well, if you're going to say, we'll talk, you know, and just yeah. figure it out. I'm curious if you had um, a tip for someone, and maybe even outside of like a psychiatrist, yeah. but if you have a patient who is, you know, really closed down or really reluctant because they're fearful of being judged or... Um, very concerned about disclosing things that make them even more vulnerable than they already are, as you described in our relationship with patients. Are there different tips or different suggestions you would have to help people feel more comfortable or help them understand that we are not there to judge them and that actually our intentions are are good in, in hoping to help them? Well, you know, one of the things I think is that we don't tell people that, right? Because if you don't have that conversation to say, like, I always tell, like, I never say to my patients, nothing you ever tell me I won't tell you to anybody else because I can't tell you that because if you tell me like you got eight bodies buried in your backyard I have to call the police so I don't you know I, I would always say don't give false hope right um and so as as nurses we always want to tell you it's gonna get better we don't know that it might not um but what you you can offer what is genuinely valid whatever you tell me I'm gonna help you with I can't, I can't necessarily fix it, but whatever you tell me, I'm going to help you to the best of my ability. And people sense genuineness. They sense when you really are going to be there and you're listening. Um, I think that's the other thing is don't feel like you have to talk, right? Silence is such a useful tool um, in letting people kind of come because we sometimes think silence is that they're not going to tell us but sometimes silence is them framing what how they're going to tell us so they need that few seconds to kind of figure out what's the wording um especially when we think about a lot of mental health conditions one of the things that are is effective is our cognitive um our cognitive wordsmithing. So like somebody with depression, you have a lot of cognitive fog. So it's not that they don't want to tell you, but it may be taking them 45 seconds to put it all together to where it makes sense to you. So they want to give you a decent stream of consciousness. Sorry, I'm in my yard. I thought somebody was. <laughs> um, so they want to present to you a, a, a logical theme of consciousness. And so sometimes just taking that moment of silence and not feeling like you have to fill a space, but be present. So you're not checking your phone, you're not, you're literally just there with them will get you so much more than feeling like you have to ask them 8,000 questions. Just sometimes give them that space to really show them that this person can sit with me in silence. That takes a lot to sit with somebody and not say anything. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking that's, that's much easier said than done, but yes. a really powerful tool. Oh yeah. We, we feel silence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I also think you made such a good point that we don't know if the patient is attempting to frame something in a way that would help us understand it. And so I think that that further, you know, validates that need to be very patient and you know, allow that for those spaces of silence too. I agree with you. That's, um, this is really helpful information. And I think it really 
um, makes me excited to hear about, you know, this area of our colleagues, um, these psychiatric nurse practitioner colleagues who are really responding to such a need in our world. And that makes me excited because I like the idea that, you know, there's a combination of um, counseling and medication management that's available for patients who, you know, perhaps in the past or even now, you know, didn't recognize as much hope as they have. And, you know, that we are kind of answering that call. And I'm saying that we as nurses, obviously, Mm -hmm. not me personally as a psychiatric nurse, (laughs) um, but you are. And, you know, the other thing that, you know, as I introduced you, I described um, that you're um, the coordinator at Wayne State of their program. And so, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious, you started to describe a little bit about what qualities would make for a good psychiatric Mm -hmm. practitioner. And you talked about, you know, being willing to listen, helping people feel comfortable. What other things, if there are students who are wondering if maybe this is the right graduate path of study for them, what other um, qualities would you recommend they recognize in themselves? Do you feel comfortable around patients who have mental health disease? I mean, because that's one of the things is that, especially mental health disorders or substance use disorders. Um, you have to be able to feel comfortable. Um, and I will say, you know, this, this is probably one of the areas, because um, I do some, some different talks for other places, and we talk about people's uncomfortable, you know, that uncomfortable sense. There's some patients that people are just there. So if you know that, you know what, I like, and it's, it's funny because when I was a staff nurse, I always got the psych patients, right? And they're like, oh, you do so good with them. You know, you can sit there and talk to them. They don't buy, like, you're not afraid. Because you can't be afraid of them. Like, the, I, I, I get that this is a disease pathology. I know how to set the boundaries, you know. And so you have to have that comfort in being able to talk to some people who are going to be irrational, delusional, <laughs> you know, going through some things. Um, they can be scary. Um, and it's funny because I've been an MP 20 years, and I've been a nurse 25, and I have never been physically attacked, and I worked as like like all the time. I've never been attacked. And the only injury I ever had came from somebody else fighting and I was trying to get past. Like I've never been punched. I never like all the stuff that, that people hear about. And I think it's because I I I feel comfortable in the presence of patients who have psychiatric disorders. I don't I can see I can separate that person from the disease. Um you have I think a willingness to listen a willingness to not always like be okay with not always knowing the answer. Cause again, because you don't have some of the same diagnostics that you have when you work in physical health, um, you have to spend a lot of time sometimes trying to make, you know, if you, if you like puzzles, <laughs> psych is probably for you cause you gotta try to figure out, okay, is this, this, or is this, that, um, but I definitely think you have to be willing, you know, a, a comfort level in, in being around people um, who are not always going to be rational. Uh, and I think a good sense of self, because one of the other things is that you, you hear a lot of hurt. It is something, you know, especially when you work in a, in a full-time role. Um, I've, over the course of my career, I've heard so much. Um, and so, I have a I have ability to frame it in a sense of my presence is here to help. And I don't internalize the things I hear, and that's difficult for people. Um, and so if you're somebody who is like a super empath, 
I would say this is probably not what you like. You like you know say if you you know you take on all these problems, like don't go on the site because you will you're gonna burn out. Um, you'll help people, but it's gonna be at a cost to you. Um, so I you know you have to be very, somebody who's very self aware and able to be able to kind of separate themselves and just be present with the patient. I think that's such great insight because you do, you're right. You do hear a lot of hurt, right? You are exposed to kind of everyone's, you know, deepest fears or worries or anxieties and, and the trauma that people have experienced and the consequences on their health as a result. That's a lot of burden. If you were to take that on personally, it sounds like that's really helpful other than recognizing yourself as the helper in that situation and not internalizing it. Is there anything that you have found, you know, helps you kind of maintain your own wellness and sense of self while serving <laughs> people? I exercise. I, I mean, I, it really is one of those things like self-care for me. And it's something that I really do teach for my students because again, you're, you're dealing with people who are at such tremendous need. Um, and depending on the population of patients you're working with, they're not always going to be rational, right? So, I mean, I've had populations I work with uh, seriously mentally ill patients. They have no insight. They, you know, they're very impulsive. Um, and they experience a lot of trauma. And so to be able to kind of separate that part out. So I, I'm big on self-care. I exercise. I exercise before I go to clinic. Every every time I have a clinic day, I work out in the morning before I go to clinic because oh, wow. then my head is clear, my body is relaxed or tired, whichever way I look at it. Um, and I make sure that I do some type of decompression when I get home. So if it's a show I like to watch, like something that makes me laugh, something that kind of takes my my focus off whatever happened in that day and it's being very aware of my own connections to people because sometimes there are patients that you know you hear their story and you're like you just want to fix it for them and you're like no I can't I can't fix it but I can like I said I can be there with you and and help you as much as I can so I think it in going in this specialty I probably am more self-aware than any uh probably any other thing I've ever done and I've done a lot of stuff so (laughs) No, it sounds like it. I think those are also great tips for all of us, you know, whether or not, again, we're practicing in, um, you know, psychiatric or mental health nursing. Those are good tips. And I've been asking a lot of our guests how they self-preserve because I think that sometimes we're so busy caring for everyone else that we forget to do it well for ourselves. Um, (laughs) I'm just curious also, and this is um, only speaking obviously to Wayne State's program because obviously there are Mm -hmm. a number of programs offered Mm -hmm. now. And so we are not trying to represent any other programs, but um, if a student felt like, you know, wow, that description that she just offered is really consistent with who I am. I think that, you know, the goal of becoming a psychiatric nurse practitioner is a good one for me. Um, What kinds of things would you recommend they do to prepare to apply and be successful in their application and pursuit of the specialty? I always tell people specifically for this specialty, you need to go work in psych in some way. Even if you're volunteering, you know, there's, especially for nurses, they have um, domestic violence shelters. They have different, you need to make sure that you have some type of actual connection to this population because um, I get people all the time that apply to the program and they, they you know, they work med surge. They work, oh, and I work with some psych patients. I said, no, you work with hospitalized psych patients. That's a very different than the majority of the patients that you're going to take care of. Um, and so I tell them, I want you to practice. You have to have some practice for me to advance, right? So it's called an advanced practice registered nurse. If you have no practice, I can't advance it. 
So I need you to practice um, and make sure that this is where, what you want because this is a specialty that does have a very high burnout. Um, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, everybody wants to be, I'll tell you, like when I first started, I was going to be a neonatal nurse practitioner. You couldn't have told me that that's not what I was going to be. Um, and then in my senior year, I did my immersion. And in my mind, how I visualized NMP, it was great, like that first week, and then babies passed away. And I was like, no, this was not in my, this was not in my vision. Everybody made it. And they came back 18 years later and told me what a wonderful nurse I was, you know, from when they were this two-pound infant. But it was that, that part of it that was so overwhelming for me that it made me really have to reevaluate what I wanted. And so that practice portion, um, a lot of times I think people want to hurry up, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my BSN program. I'm about to finish and I want to go into my DMP. And I say, nursing is not going anywhere. These programs are not going anywhere. But your value added in taking that time to make sure that this is where you see yourself and looking at it as a career trajectory and not just the next step. So you stay, you know, because this is an advanced education. It's not cheap. It's really not cheap. Um, and so you need to know that what you're adding to your skill set is where you see yourself going. I mean, because otherwise then we do see higher rates of burnout. So you go, you practice, you're like, I love psych. This is what I see myself doing. I mean, for myself, if you had told me I'd have been a psych and P, I never would have believed it ever in a thousand years. I liked psych when I was in undergrad and it wasn't until I worked in psych and I, you know, I started working with postpartum depression with women and it was just like, this is it. Like, I love this. I could do this. Every, like I could do this every day. Um, and I can say I've done about every type of nursing and I did not feel that way about the good majority of them. Um, but for me, like I am an FNP and a psych MP. So my first certification was in family medicine. Um, and I did the primary care thing. I did, I, like I said, I've worked in every possible type of nursing that there is. And when I found this, I found what I would say is my home. This is where knowing as a nurse, this is what I, what I'm supposed to be doing. And I don't doubt it any, any day that I practice. I don't doubt that. Um, and I think that's the feeling that we all want. And nursing is so large that you can find it. You just have to not put these blinders on to say, this is what everybody does. No, what is your career path? So if you find it of interest, you practice in it. You know, if you had to, I, you know, I would be a midwife if, I, if they had better hours, you know. <laughs> so... Yeah, no, that's, it is, it's inspiring to hear you say that because you can see, I know you guys listening can't see, but I'm telling you, I can see, and also you can hear in Dr. Stephen's voice, like the enthusiasm that she offers as she talks about this work and doing it every day. Um, and I think it's such a, an important message. You know, we don't want to hear, oh, you know, there are a lot of jobs in this specialty, or you make a lot of money in this. Um, but to do that, no matter how many jobs are available to you or how much you're being compensated with, to do that day in and day out and serve populations well is a very exhausting thing. And so I think that I would just encourage everyone to make sure this is really a good fit for me because it's the passion within in me um, that drives me to do it rather than something external because those things sound great and they may be great for a period of time, but when you're thinking of specialties that have risk for burnout and for exhaustion, I mean, how much of yourself are you willing to give up, you know, to do something that you're not happy with each day? Well, and the other thing is, you know, people say, well, job security, you're a nurse and you're a nurse or a nurse practitioner. You will always have a job. There's, there, there's, you know, 
hospitals are not closing. There are always going to be healthcare needs. Um, and the thing is that are you are you in the place that you are meeting the best need for that patient and for yourself? Because again, going in to a job that I always my philosophy is that money will come, right? I have been, like I said, I've been doing, I've been an MP 20 years, which I still can't believe. I told Halloween, it'll be 20 years. Um, and I have, as a psych MP, I don't look for jobs. Jobs find me. Like, I literally have been on elevators at conferences and people are like, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, you're a psych MP? Are you looking for a job? No, I'm not looking for a job. I get emails that somebody knows somebody. Oh, my friend is looking. My current private practice was like, I was calling him about a clinical placement and he hired me. Wow. So it wasn't, it was no job interview. He was like, do you want to come work here? I'm like, yeah, I'm looking for a private, that would be cool, private practice, never thought of it. So I think, you know, if you're in the right place, that peace of mind is, from a psych perspective is priceless. You know, you can have a job where you make lots of money and you're miserable. But in healthcare, if you're miserable, you're gonna not, it's not gonna just be you. You're gonna you're gonna pass it on to your patients. You're not gonna be present for them. You know, you are not going to have like it's a joy when you you can see somebody who's in the right line of work and you can see people who aren't. And if I'm sick, I don't want you coming to see me if you're not in the right line of work. Oh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> we we need to keep that front and center, like you said, you know caring for our patients, but also for ourselves and the way that those two things interact with each other. Um, yes. You know, we hear that so often in nursing. If you don't care for yourself, you're not going to be effective caring for others. And yes, I do think as, you know, cliche and as often as we hear that, I think it's true. I think that's why we hear it so often. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, but I think we discount it. And again, I mean, it's, it's a different, you know, thing now, like becoming a nurse practitioner is something that is like, you know, people now go into school like they're on step two already. Like the first part is the first part, right? So the BSN, because I got to get it, but I'm really going to be this. And it's like, well, that may be on your list, but you get out here, you practice, you practice a year, a year of your life. Like I said, if you had told me, I, I can't believe I've been doing this 25 years. It seems like I can still remember my first nursing job. I can still remember all that. I can remember graduating from nursing school. So like, I'm like, I can't believe this has been 25 years. Um, but I will say that my career, I did do that. Like, I, this sounds of interest. Let me try it. Because before you invest, I mean, what average MP program, master's is $60,000, before you invest sixty, seventy thousand dollars because this is where you think you should be, versus taking a year, getting paid to figure out if you like it or not, and then investing in it. Is a that's logical, right? I get paid to figure out if I like being a psych nurse first. Because if I don't like being a psych nurse, I'm not gonna like being a psych nurse practitioner. Right. Absolutely. As you said, nursing is going to be there. Our career will be there. Yeah. Um, I also think often of what a sacrifice it is for ourselves from a time perspective, you know, financially, of course, but yeah. and the things that we miss out on with our family and friends yeah. as we are pursuing graduate studies, I think it's worth it to make sure it's the right move. Well, I mean, you think about how much with the time frame too is spending that time in some place that you don't even end up. I mean, so we say 500 hours, like average program is 500 hours of clinicals. Ours are all longer. DMP is even longer than that. Um, so you say you spend a thousand hours as a DMP doing clinical hours. That's not including all your studies, all your coursework, all that. So what we're at, but maybe probably 2,500 hours of your life. Mm -hmm. 
and then you decide once you get in practice you hate it and you owe seventy thousand dollars like so <laughs> it's like what are you gonna do with it so then you go back and you get another dude and, and like i said this is coming from somebody who has two degrees so i mean i have i, I totally this is preaching to the choir um but i think if if you take that time and you know that that's what you want to do you're going to find that direction for yourself and i think now it's so much this checklist right again i'm supposed to do this also and it's like no work feel out and then when you go back you're going to enjoy your graduate experience so much more if you know in in inside of you that this is what i'm supposed to be doing the classes don't feel labored you can see this adding to your life in a positive way versus it being something like that you know you got trick bamboozled or recruited into <laughs> and now they're torturing you because it's not you don't see the, the point of it all right yeah I think it's, it's <laughs> such great advice for going into you know into graduate studies so at Wayne State currently is the psychiatric nurse practitioner offered as a master's as a DNP program or both we offer a master's and a DNP. Um, there used to be multiple um, different specialties, but since 2014, it was streamlined. So you used to could be just a child and adolescent psych nurse practitioner, a family nurse practitioner, or adult. They got rid of all that, and they said everybody learns across the lifespan. So you know, once you graduate, you can go into whatever subspecialty you want. But um, Right now, it's across the lifespan. We have our master's program full time is about two and a half years, and most of my DMPs are about four, four and a half, depending on what their project is. So, just depends. Perfect. And is there? I know we've talked and advised a lot to make sure this is the right, um, mm -hmm. the right specialty. Is there a requirement prior to submitting an application, Dr. Stevens, or? Could a student who is finishing their BSN and has a job in a psychiatric RN role apply? Yes. So for my program and most programs that are out there, um, if they have a clinical requirement, it is a practice requirement before you can go to clinical. So you could get accepted into a program, but you would not be able to finish that program or complete your clinical practicum hours, which is that internship that you need to do um, until you got the appropriate amount of experience. So that's how my program operates. Um, typically, I will say, like, I will tell people, like, just go see my program has been around we, we're, we're going to be celebrating 75 years i'm not going this program not going anywhere <laughs> so go figure out what you want to do and then you know come ready to know that this is really the path that you're ready to walk and um like i said i tell them we're, i'm not going anywhere so i just want you to graduate with your sanity intact i feel as a psych program i can't be responsible for driving nurses to insanity so i want you to be as sane as possible when you finish grad school. Right, absolutely. And just to clarify, when um, Dr. Stephen says before the clinical, so often before the clinical component of a program, you would have um, some like core curriculum, so yep. leadership and evidence-based practice and theory. Yep. You know, and so on. Right. And then also what we call the three P's, which is your pathology, yep. pharmacology, and physical assessment courses. And that usually can give students at the very minimum one year, but usually two years yeah. um, to kind of gain clinical experience while taking core courses before you would enter clinical. And so just to kind of put that into perspective of what that means from a time perspective. Yeah, but that's 
That's what, you know, and that's one of the things I tell people is that, you know, if you know that there's a specialty of interest, start looking for a job in that specialty of interest, because again, it does really help um, to solidify that, that kind of fire for you. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Stevens, thank you so much for taking this time with us today. This was a great interview. It was really fun to hear from <laughs> you and also, you know, hear about what things to consider as, um, as you might consider pursuing a psychiatric nurse practitioner program um, and the strengths that really, um, I think, will benefit you throughout that trajectory. So thank you for sharing everything you have with us and, you know, for the time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that was really fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Night and Tales. As you do, we encourage you to consider the unique nature of each person's journey through this profession. The views shared on this podcast are those of an individual, not the academic institution that they graduated from, their employer, or the professional organization that they're active in. The stories of their career path and progression are not intended to suggest that there is a uniform approach to achieving similar accomplishments, but to open your mind to all that is available to you. Each journey in nursing is as unique as each individual that we serve. We hope you'll listen again next time.